It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. What was your reaction to the Bears releasing veterans Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair, saving as much as $21.7 million under the salary cap? How hard will either guy be to replace? This was a smart move by Ryan Poles. I think it also suggested to anyone who might have wondered that there will be no emotion in the equation when you're putting together your roster, not in the NFL. You have to remove sentiment. You can't be emotionally attached to players, even if they served you well. And Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson served the Bears very well. They did not do a lot of winning here. The Bears haven't won uh, much while they were in town. 2018, that was it. Both guys had strong years in 2018. As we said previously, they have the distinction of being two of the most outstanding draft picks from the Ryan Pace era. But that was a long time ago. Now I don't think the Bears have anybody that was drafted before 2020 on their team, by the team. Anybody that the Bears drafted before 2020. Mm. I think that speaks to how young they are, how much they're still in sort of a rebuild mode, but they've got to be a playoff contender in 2024 or else what's the purpose here? I think... Eddie Jackson will land somewhere for sure and could be a starting NFL free safety in 2024. That position, especially, you can plug and play guys. You can see guys stick around for a while and learn systems quickly. You saw it in heck. San Francisco played Tayshawn Gibson, a guy that came to the Bears after another career elsewhere and still has some value to good defenses. Although we got Steve Wilkes fired. (laughs) So, I mean. But you get the point. Eddie Jackson will likely land somewhere as a starter. Cody Whitehair, if he still wants to play, I still think he could be one of those guys that provides quality depth. Maybe he fills in uh, a roster spot on a depth chart. He's somebody who's easy to have in the locker room and certainly can be a great example if you have younger offensive linemen looking for one. So you wish both guys well. Ryan Poles made the difficult uh, decision, and it was difficult only because – of what they meant emotionally to fans and maybe the organization. But you remove emotion from the equation. This was a smart move, and it was inevitable. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming. It was just a matter of when with this one. I mean, Eddie Jackson, you said he was Ryan Pace's greatest pick. And I was trying to argue with that just in case for this segment. But, like, I got to give it to you, Dave. You're right. I'm looking at all his picks. I'm like, ooh. And so, yes, two-time Pro Bowler. I mean – you know he's on the list for one of the hundred greatest bears of all time. Yes, he was eighty-eight or eighty-one. I just like I'm like, man, like that's to me it's just crazy. That I was is shocked crazy. About that. I, I didn't see that coming, but I'm but I am with Gabe on this when he said earlier in the segment. Like, I, I mean, I feel like you can get a safety anyway. You get like a one-year type of deal with a safety until you draft someone along the way. Now, white hair. Now, I was listening one time Gabe was doing evenings. He was arguing the fact that should you really draft a center? And I was listening to that, and he, and he had some good stats with that, too. I, I think also, I think you could look up a free agent type of center that can fill in. Like, 
for his spot with that one. But overall, these moves I saw coming. I mean, we all saw it coming a mile away. Brandon, tell me more about how I'm amazing. <laughs> I gave both of you. I gave, what, look, look, what, I, both of you guys like are this, amazing. Like what this. kind of center metrics did you have? Hey, hey, I do research. I don't know. I have time Was it like pro football day. focus or yeah, something like that? Yeah, it was, it was has, a good segment. You had me tuned in. It was more, has to be a gambling aspect. No, no. It was more about talking about how, how centers grade out in their first couple of years and how they, they never grade in the top 20 in the first couple of years and centers and but it was just a bunch of stuff like that. So uh, <laughs> Cody Whitehair, uh, for me, and, and just so everybody knows, the center that I actually want the Bears to sign is Aaron Brewer, Tennessee Titans. Okay. Talk to my guy from that covers the Tennessee Titans here on 670. The score he was telling me the Brewers are a stud. Derrick Henry loves running behind him. And if the Bears were looking at Nate Davis, they just look, I'm sure they saw the same tape of Aaron Brewer there playing center for the Titans. So a uh, nice little uh, place right there. Eddie Jackson, however, He's one of those guys where me, as a, as a Bears fan, you just love anyone that puts on the jersey. So you kind of like cheer for him. You want him to do well. You believe in him. You know, you, you, you believe what he says. And I think more so than anything else, Eddie Jackson, like Jalen Johnson, can see that the Bears are headed in the right direction. And I'm sure it sucks to a certain degree where you've been with a team for so long. And as they are turning the corner, your fate now belongs to another team. And so... I think there's a sentimental value there where I think about the restructuring, but replacing either guy is going to be easy, especially when you have 21 point something million dollars to do. Yep. Yeah, that's a good question. What was your reaction to the news Thursday when the Hawks announced that Connor Bedard would play Thursday night just 41 days after breaking his jaw? Smart move or reckless? What did you think of the kids' play? Connor Bedard was out for 41 days? No, I just playing. <laughs> I did that for David. 14 games, Gabe. <laughs> 14 long, miserable, grueling games. Um, I think it was great. I think the fact that David Hall was excited, then I knew it was time for me to be excited about the Blackhawks as well. Um, but I think it just goes to show, again, I've been talking about it a lot for the last couple of days, where the NHL, I feel like the NHL got involved. And that part is icky. Um, I do love the fact that David pointed out that, you know, Hockey players are wired different, so I'm sure he himself wanted to get back on the ice. So I do think it was a smart move. Why? Because you need some sort of momentum to continue to build for the Blackhawks. It started at the beginning of the season. Every, it felt like every game of theirs was on TV. People were talking about the Blackhawks, and then it kind of just went dark. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's playing, I thought it was a smart move. In terms of what do I think of the kids play, you come in, you get an assist, you have a couple of blocks, and you get yourself on the ice, and you're a presence. And I think that for me overall, for a guy that had one practice leading into that game, I think I think he did I think he did well. And I think that, you know, Blackhawks are back, baby. They're back. They lost. I don't know if they're back. <laughs> like, yeah. They're back. <laughs> I mean They're back on my radar. They're, they're they're back to being like you want to watch them on TV and you want to see Connor Badar play. I was a little shocked by the news when it was announced. I thought it was like maybe a game or two early. I thought he'll be back sometime next week. Um with that being said though, I mean he played good. He was rusty. He was already the best player. I mean, we already know he's the best player, but just for him to be gone for like, what, six weeks, a month and a half, and then you come back by the second period, get your assist. I mean, they needed it. And just the fact that this team is so much on national TV, it makes me go back to think to the point, too, of like, man, did the NHL like, hey, like we not for this game, but like, hey, we need him to start yeah. showing up. Because this is, I mean, let's face it, this is one of the worst teams in the NHL, okay? <laughs> so why would you want one of the worst teams in the NHL on 
you know, national TV. It's because of Conor Bedard, so it's great to see him back. You got to have some type of excitement because it's really Conor Bedard and there's really not much else right now. So, good move. I think that even though we're about six weeks out from the injury and people said, well, you know, six, six weeks, still not a surprise. The fact that he hadn't practiced with contact made you wonder. And when I asked Chris Chelios on Wednesday if the next time we talked to him would Conor Bedard be – uh, you know, after a game that he had played, he said, oh, yeah, sure. And I was a little bit skeptical even then. So I was surprised. And at the end of the program yesterday, I'm glad we mentioned that possibility because word was had begun to spread that he had gotten the clearance from the doctors and he had talked them into wanting him to, you know, he's, he's antsy. He wants to be on the ice. Special guys have special uh, approaches. And, and Connor Bedard's, he just never wants to be anywhere but on the ice with a stick in his hands. And I thought it was a little bit fast. But then you watch the game. It took him a period to probably readjust and recalibrate. And then he was the way he typically has been. Smooth, aggressive. He had the assist. He sees the ice like nobody else. And he was the best player for the Hawks. A very bad team. They could be drafting very high again. And they have prospects on the way. So... You know, the, enjoy this, the rest of the league. Now, the Hawks are coming. The mm-hmm. Hawks will be coming. And it was exciting, even though I was a little bit cautious in watching. And so I wanted to check to see how excited I was. I sent a text to my son as soon as I got the news. I think I used four exclamation points. Oh, wow. I am not an exclamation point guy. And I used four of them to say, Bedard is back, baby. I only got, I only got two exclamation points. When you, you? Te- when you text me that. Did I, I texted you too. Yeah. Oh, that's right, I did. There's a game. Two ex- Well, see, I was more excited than my son. Of course, just, you should be. I wanted to talk him into going to the game with yeah. me. And he, was, he wasn't available. Yeah, yeah. He tried to hype him And up, my wife right? wasn't interested. No, it's a valid question, uh, certainly on the minds of a lot of people. As the Bulls hit the all-star break with Kobe White, really the brightest spot of the season, let's consider what his ceiling is. All-star, superstar. Does White have any precedent for his development from homegrown draft pick into breakout player? I don't know that Kobe White is superstar material. That would mean what? Top 10, top 15 in the league? I don't know that he's capable of that. And I don't know that. I hate when we compliment players and we start talking about what they're not capable of accomplishing because I think all the, all the things about Kobe White this year need to be positive. He has put himself in a position to have this conversation. What is he capable of? He was the seventh overall pick in the draft. Those guys have high ceilings. When you watch the way he plays now, that's the way he played at North Carolina. He was aggressive, looking for a shot, hunting those opportunities. And I do think he's a a 20-point-a-night guy, easily. I do think he's probably a 40% three-point shooter, easily. Is that a superstar level? Maybe. Is he a 30-point-a-night guy? That would be superstar level. He's a core piece that you want to build with and around. I don't know that he is superstar yet. Capable of being an all-star multiple times. To me, the precedent is there for him with the Bulls. Jimmy Butler did not become what he is now with the Bulls. They had to trade him, and then the Timberwolves had to trade him, and then the Sixers had to trade him, and then he had to learn with the Heat how to be that guy, right? right. But I do think that when you see Jimmy Butler's tenacity in approaching improvement and being that taking that work ethic with him every single night, if Kobe White has that kind of hunger within him, he is capable of doing anything he wants. 
I think this shows like the more opportunity and more confidence you get, you can really see the growth and development of an NBA player. Like Kobe White, the fact of like he was trying to work on his dribbling, working on his shooting during the offseason. And you could tell he, he, he just he looks better overall. I think he's better playing the the two maybe than the one on this one. But, I mean, obviously that means Zach Levine, you know, probably has to move around. But then that's more opportunities for him. I do agree with you, David. Like, this is a player you could build around. I do see at least all-star potential maybe a couple of times. I kind of wish he was a little bit rewarded for his play so far. I know the Bulls are pretty bad. But, like, I wish he was, like, maybe in a three-point contest or something. Like, I would like to see some type of Bulls. Bigger stage. Yeah, represent. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to see that. So I was kind of, like, bummed that he didn't get that. But... I mean, overall, the, the future looks bright for Kobe White. Kobe White, currently in the 2023-2024 season, averaging career highs in points, career highs in assists, career highs in rebounds, career highs in three-point percentage. It's really impressive. And field goal percentage. All of these are career highs for Kobe White this season. Obviously, he's getting more opportunities with more minutes being played. But as you mentioned, David, it, it shows that when you do put in the work, Brandon, that was a great point that you mentioned about the dribbling because – I know it gets brought up a lot, but when you're thinking about an NBA player, I always think back to Kobe and saying, like, every summer I worked on something. That's how I became great. And clearly Kobe White worked on his dribbling. This year he's working on his aggressiveness, going towards the rim, being able to take the contact, using his big frame. But there is a ceiling for Kobe White. The reason he is averaging 30 points a game is because there is no true one on the Chicago Bulls, right? It is a 500 team that he is excelling on. So, you know, could he be an all-star? Certainly. For a bad team, not on a good team, though. He is a, a, a component. Wait, go ahead. I don't agree with that at you all. You think Kobe White could be an all-star on a good team? Yes. No. Yes. He wouldn't have the opportunities just, that he has. You just told me what he's shooting. You just told me all the stats. Yeah, you just on, made a, me on the Bulls, on a 500 team, he wouldn't be able to do that if he was playing with actual stars. You put him on, let's yeah, say. Yeah, pick a team. Pick a team, Celtics. Of course not. He's like the fifth option. Of course he's not making the all-star team as a Celtic. Maybe even a pick, bench player. Pick any other. Pick, pick <laughs> okay, a top that. 12 team I'm going to think about this. we yeah. got to get to the other questions. Oh, okay. You have just stumped me for the morning. <laughs> okay. So, I, 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 ceiling, ceiling my first definitely reaction not a superstar, all-star, and a bad team. He can't, he's an all-star and a good team. And I'm thinking, okay, does that make sense? I need to think this through. Let's move on. That's a great question, Paul. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that he will retire when his current term ends in 2029. Is that news? What do you think of when you think of Manfred and how might his legacy change, if at all, in the final five years on the job? The first thing I think of is Bud Selig. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, damn, he's retiring already. I thought it was just, but that happened back in 2015. So uh, he will have a nice tenure. I think the really cool thing about Rob Manfred, when you're thinking about the lockout of 2022, or this almost lockout of 2022, you think about who he is as an individual. He's the labor lawyer for the, for MLB. That's who he was prior to. So he was at the negotiation table. I've sat in union meetings where you had to negotiate against the actual company itself. It, it, it's, it's silly. You have no you have no power. They control everything. And Rob Manfred is clearly a guy who understood that power and had it bleed into his reign as, as MLB commissioner. But he is going to be responsible for the, the speeding up of the game, which I think is extremely important. Um, there are a couple of other things that he'll be known for, but for me, that is the most important. And so I don't think if he wants to change something in his legacy, what adding a couple of teams, I think that'll be important outside of that. I mean, I think it'll be interesting just to, to keep everybody on the same page, get speed the game up a little bit more and just, you know, 
have the game continue to be fun, but I think he's done an excellent job, you know, in his tenure, you know, while he's been there. I think if you ask MLB fans, I don't think they're a fan of Rod Manford. Ask I, any ask ask any professional sports commissioner. <laughs> I mean, NBA, NBA they yeah. love they love Adam Silver. Oh, right. Adam right. Silver is very okay. popular. Right. Good um, comeback. But I, I would say this. When I think of him, I think of certain quotes that, like, I think he was asked one time, did, do we hate baseball? Like, and then the piece of metal thing. So it's like, do you really care about them? Like, to me, he's a businessman. Like you say, he, he's working for the owners. But, like, at the same time, though, one of the things I would definitely will give him credit for to piggyback off what Gabe said, like, he saw that there was maybe a problem or he noticed something with MLB being too long. He kept hearing that. And then once I guess it was, like, the COVID season, like – shorten up the game a little bit and then using some of that even to now. And I think that did help out a little bit. I think it, you know, the, the speed of the game, I, you like that because you want more action. So I would give them credit for that one. Speed of the game, I think that's big. Playoff expansion, I think that was good. Uh, increase in attendance will be attributed to both of those things. So I think he's responsible for that. There's always going to be the piece of metal comment. There's always going to be the fact that he – uh, went into looked into the Astros scandal and gave those players immunity. What are you doing there, Rob Manfred? And there's going to be just his prickly personality has been difficult to embrace for baseball fans. So it will be a mixed legacy. He has an opportunity to change it over the last five years, certainly. Um, I think it's been a tenure that has been good for the owners because baseball is growing, and I do think it will continue to grow and maybe expand, but I think the the – Pitch clock was huge, and he presided over that. But the thing about this story that bothers me, okay, we all should be so lucky to say, you know what I'm going to do in five years? I'm going to be employed and well-paid and and not have anything to worry about. Yes. And then in 2029, I'm going to walk away because, you know what, I have that luxury. Well, thank you, Rob. But I really don't care what you're doing in 2029. At 70. <laughs> At 70. Oh, great. Why is this a headline? Why is this a story? This is happening in five years. What are you going to be doing in five years, Gabe? What am I going to be doing in five years? I would like to think. Well, not you know retiring. I, not retiring. <laughs> but you'd like to think that you're going to be in a good job and maybe in the job you're in, maybe in a better job. Rob Manfred, can you really tell me that, okay, does, does this mean over the next five years he's not going to be ousted no matter what he does? That's job security. If you're going to announce now what you're gonna hap- what's going to happen to you in five years and how you're going to walk off and ride off into the sunset, wow, do you have a charmed life. Yeah, I'm not talking necessarily about a pick six or something like that. Kyle Hendricks talked on Thursday about being in the only place he wanted to be, in a Cubs uniform. You think that Hendricks retires a Cub? How do you envision him slotting into the rotation, top of the rotation guy or fourth or fifth starter? Or do you consider Hendricks, who is in the final year of a contract that the team picked up the option for, trade bait and a candidate to be flipped at the deadline? I hope not, but I wonder if that's the case. You look at his deal, the club picked up the option, and he's going to be a productive pitcher on a pretty good team. But I do also know the Cubs, very high on their young pitchers in the in the system. And I do know that if they are still lacking a bat at the trade deadline, I wonder how they're going to go out and get it. More likely to use young pitchers than a veteran, but maybe Kyle Hendricks is a guy that somebody like maybe the Orioles, did you see they're still looking now, 
for pitchers because their guys aren't opening ready, uh, going to be ready by opening day. Maybe Kyle Hendricks is somebody who is sought and targeted by contenders. I want him to retire a Cub. I want him to be here forever. I want him to be here in five years when Rob Manfred retires. <laughs> I hope great. Kyle Hendricks is still in a Cub uniform. Unlikely, but he can go out on his terms. I hope he stays forever because he's the easiest guy in a Cub uniform to like. I mean, of course any player, I mean, if they like their current situation, they don't want to keep getting traded. So, of course, he wants to retire a Cub. And, you know, and it would be nice to have him there, especially with the whole, you know, he was there when the Cubs were in the World Series and stuff like that. But, but, but right. <laughs> I I mean, right now, what he's penciled in is, what, the number two starter, yeah, I feel, I, going in after Steele makes sense. But I feel like over time, he's going to move down a little bit, maybe like three, four along the line. And... It really depends on where the Cubs are at. I mean, look, if, if the Cubs are in the playoff like hunt again, like they were last year, it's very if it's similar to last year, I don't I don't see them making a move. I don't see that happening. I like moving him for that, maybe probably acquiring some assets, but I, I don't see nothing in that one. So it really to me depends on where the Cubs at. And I mean, right now going into it, he looks like probably potential maybe a some trade bait to me. Wow. I I, I... Trying to be optimistic, I hope that's not the case. I hope the Cubs are in a position where they still need him uh, at the trade deadline so that he won't be necessarily someone that they want to flip. Or maybe, to your point, Brandon, young guys actually do perform well enough where you can actually you know, bring something back for Hendricks. As far as where I see him in the rotation, the, the good thing for the Cubs is that he can be a one-through-five guy for you. He literally can be at the top of the rotation in the event of an injury and give you six, maybe seven innings and keep you in a game. Or... If your pitchers are performing well, he can be your fourth, fifth guy that you're not necessarily banking on for a victory, but someone that can, you know, bring the rotation back around. So I think that's a great position for them to be in. I do think he'll retire Cub, whether it's, you know, on a one-day contract or, you know, if he stays so for the rest of the thing. What? Those are so lame. What is lame about a one-day contract? <laughs> Come on, man. It's all for ceremony. It's nonsense. I, I know. That's what's beautiful about oh, it. Oh, I hate those things. What? 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 Let's gather together to sign get a one-day contract. Get off my lawn, David Hall. What, no, what are you talking about? No, that's not about? get off my lawn. That's not old man thinking. That, that oh. does sound like that. What's the big deal? It's beautiful. Deal? It's the old man thinking. Luol Dane comes back, oh. signs a one-day contract with the Bulls so he can retire a bull? Yeah, let's reminisce about that. I mean, <laughs> oh one-day contracts are the dumbest thing in sports. Why would you have a one-day contract? I mean, everybody remembers it's you anyway. It's symbolic, but it's symbolic. Oh, you have great. the opportunity to say it. Give him a gold watch and move on. <laughs> I'm just answering your question. We'll get back to that. Please. We talked Thursday about how Chris Getz should view his job as the White Sox general manager. Do you think Getz believes he has assets to trade for prospects? After Luis Robert and Dylan Cease, who are the two or three most tradable assets on the Sox? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think first and foremost, Getz, without question, believes he has the assets to trade for prospects. He's been a scout on the team for however many years. So I think that, you know, he understands or probably values the talent of the White Sox a bit differently than anyone else. So he, he feels like he can't package some guys together. Um, As far as, you know, trade pieces for the Chicago White Sox, oh, my gosh, it's slim. It really is slim. I mean, you don't want to get rid of any of the younger guys like a like a Garrett Crochet or anything like that. They need to be cornerstones. Uh, No, the answer is no. I mean, not anyone that, that is of value. I mean, even if you dangled the Yohan Mankata, a Gavin Sheets, somebody like that. Gavin I, Sheets, I forgot about him. 
you know, a, a Ben attendee because you're just like, hey, let's just, you know, get some young guys out there. Like, they're not people that teams are lining up for. So I don't – it'd be tough to go down to actually call them valuable assets. Um, but there are some guys that can be packaged, that's for sure. I mean – <laughs> I know that's that how, that, that's that whole hesitation, <laughs> right? Like after Dylan Cease and Luis Roberts, like who who else can you trade off this? There's nobody on this team that's where you got to have a bounce back year for Kopech, Mokata, Benintendi. Like it's so many like ifs with this. They got like what a zero percent chance or something like this. This team is horrible, and and I'm a Sox fan, and I and I want them to prove me wrong. I mean, look, I was on Facebook. And I went on the White Sox Facebook page, and it's pathetic because they 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 showed the picture like they showed all the pictures and stuff like that. Underneath each one, they had to put the name underneath it because you don't know nobody <laughs> on this team. That's it's ridiculous. So great. it's just like no, no, not there's nobody on this team. No. And then there was a big picture of smiling ex Royals in Sox uniforms. The Sox have tradable assets. Yoan Mankata, somebody would want, right? Maybe. What about Andrew Vaughn? He's number one. If you're going to trade to get something in return, if you are committed to a rebuild and you're going to protect Luis Robert, you're going to trade Dylan Cease. The Orioles are coming for Dylan Cease. Bruce told me to mention that today. We need to get into that later. The Orioles are going to be coming for Dylan Cease. But when you look outside of Cease and Robert, I'm thinking Andrew Vaughn. I'm thinking Yohan Mankata. I'm thinking... Michael Kopech? <sighs> Would Michael Kopech bring anything in return? A change of scenery might be what this guy is begging for, what his arm talent would bring. I just think that when you see him continue to have all the unfulfilled potential, and you know, I, I love the, the Sox beat. They do a great job. All the stories after Michael Kopech spoke yesterday, they read just like they did a year ago. Michael Kopech's you know, committed to this and committed to that. So, you know, it, it is an exercise in futility trying to find Sox assets that are worth trading. That's how difficult the job is. Chris Getz has a difficult job. I still think, as we said yesterday, though, he has every reason to love the challenge. I would get to work every day excited, and I would call the Orioles every single day. I love that his question was yesterday, have the Orioles called you since, they, <laughs> since their injuries about Dylan Cease? Not today, but it was early. And I think that they should get on the phone and maybe try to, you know, get this process going because going into the season, every start Dylan Cease makes, even though desperate times call for desperate measures and teams may be able to give up more at the deadline, you risk injury. And baseball pitchers are not hockey players. They have an ingrown toenail or a, a a blister. They're going on the I.L., Bedard would say, okay, I'm going to skip a shift. I'll I'm pitch, coming I'll pitch back. in my left hand. 